Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, when I get to heaven, maybe I can sing that way. <laughs> well, just remain standing just for a moment. It's so good to see you tonight, and uh, I really believe God has something for us. Aren't you glad that uh, we can just feel the presence of God and be in the, in the very uh, spot where God is... Uh, letting some of heaven trickle down for us. Amen. Let's pray tonight. Father, thank you for allowing us to be here in your presence. Thank you, Lord, that you love us. Thank you that you care for us. Thank you that we're called by your name, that heaven is our home, and we have the hope of glory, as we've heard tonight. Thank you for the worship, the music, the singing. And Lord, we are so grateful for all of your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm glad you're here tonight. That was worth the price of admission, wasn't it? I want to direct you to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We've been on a series. I'd like to end it tonight on spiritual gifts. Obviously, we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. We also believe that God has uh, gifted us with supernatural power, not that we possess it in our own right. It's not innately a part of us, but as vessels, the Bible says we have treasure. And I want to assure you, you have treasure in earthen vessels according to the Word of God. In verse number 4 of 1 Corinthians 12, the Apostle Paul is sharing with the church, I don't want you to be ignorant or uninformed of how the Holy Spirit is gifting the body of Christ or the church. He says there are diversities of gifts, the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but it's the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Now, if you have your Bible there, you might put your finger on that line that the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. You see, I'm a firm believer because I believe the Word of God teaches that every born-again believer that's filled with the Holy Spirit has a spiritual gift. And you and I can operate in that gift. We can, we can flow in that gift if we understand how those gifts work. Verse 11 but one, in the safe, but one in the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Now, we want to just catch up a little bit tonight. We're talking about what spiritual gifts are not. Sometimes to know what they are, you have to know what they're not. They're not earthly talents. They're not earthly um, uh, things that we've learned through our own intellect. They're not produced by our efforts. They're not solely for our own individual benefit. But they are. Grace gifts of the Holy Spirit, their endowments and empowerment of the Holy Spirit, they're dispersed and gifted into people's lives as God wills or as God sees fit. You see, it doesn't happen as I see fit, it happens as God sees fit. How many of you believe God knows better than you? And he knows better than me. So we talked about these nine spiritual gifts there in chapter 12. We, we grouped them in, in three groups. We talked first about the revelation gifts, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, discerning the spirits. We talked about all of those individually. The power gifts, gifts of faith, gifts of healing, the working of miracles, gifts of inspiration. There's prophecy. There's different kinds of tongues. There's interpretation of tongues. But tonight, very quickly, I want you to turn to Romans 12. 
because 1 Corinthians 12 is not a complete list of spiritual gifts because Paul begins to add other gifts here in Romans chapter 12. If we go up, he's talking about grace gifts. It is the word charis, where we get the word charismatic. It is that endowment of the Holy Spirit because of grace, not you didn't earn it, nothing you did to get it, but supernaturally and sovereignly, God imparted that in your life. Now, look at verse 4. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts, everybody say gifts, differing according to the grace that's given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Now, we talked about prophecy earlier, so we're not going to pick that up. But I want you to look at what he's saying here in verses 4 and 5. Please listen. One body, many members. We're one body, many members. So this is the body of Christ. You're a member of that body. I'm a member of that body. But there is one body. Many members, we don't all have the same function. We do not function all the same, and we even function differently in those individual functions. I can't sing like Chris, I can't sing like Waylon, I can't sing like Wendy, and you're saying, uh, please don't try out on us and, and let us know that you can't. But there are things that I can do, there are things that you do. When we put that together, there is the process and the collective giftedness that exalts Jesus Christ, glorifies God, and builds up and edifies the body. If we understand that you have something to contribute, can I hear an amen? Even though we don't have the same function, we're members one of another. So that membership, that member connectedness, really is a part of this whole idea of giftedness. Now look at verse 6. Our gifts are different. We have gifts that are according to the grace that's given us. So let us use them, he said, in the proportion of our faith. Paul gives us the gift of prophecy, and then in verse 7 and 8, he moves on to other gifts. Look there, please. On ministry, let us use it, uh, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he sh who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So let's break down these other gifts that he includes. Let's not go over the, the old ones, but first one he says is ministry. Everybody say ministry. Now it's the Greek word diakonika or diakonia, which literally is where we get the word deacon. It's an attendant, a servant, one who serves food and drink. We really see this in play when we get to Acts about chapter 6. The ministry needs begin to outpace the ministers in that church. You remember the widows weren't being taken care of like they needed to be taken care of? Really no fault of anybody in the fact that they were neglecting or not working. It's just they had more ministry needs than they had ministers. So Peter says, we, we've got to do something about this. And he says, look out, seven men, good report, honest, full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit. And that's where you first find Stephen and Philip and some of these other men. And they were given charge to take care of the widows in the church. Now just for you to think that these are just widow keepers, I want you to think again. 
God used these men in supernatural power. They are performing signs and wonders. And the first martyr in the early church is one of these men, Stephen. Because he is being used in such a way that he has the attention of the entire community. Now, when we talk about a servant or someone serving, 20 times this word is translated as minister. Eight times it's translated as servant. Three times as deacon. So if you are a servant, if you are ministering, if you are serving the body of Christ, then very possible you have this gift. Now we all should be servants, right? We all should be helping one another. But there are some people who are supernaturally gifted to do this. And it becomes their primary gift. I want you to look at a passage, and I'm going to give it to you tonight, where this word is used, and you'll, you'll recognize it. Do you remember when the disciples were jockeying for position? Who's going to be the greatest? Who, who's going to sit on your right hand? Who's going to sit on your left hand? And, and Jesus has to have a little checkup with the neck up with his disciples. Uh, do you think he's still having to do that with us today? You think some of us need to check up from the neck up? And he says, this is what the Gentiles do. This is how they act. He says, you're not going to act this way in this kingdom. But notice Matthew chapter 20, verse 26. He said, yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. So in this kingdom, the way up is down. And there are people who are supernaturally gifted to serve in this body of Christ and one of their functions as the member to the body is to serve. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verses 4 through 10 Paul addresses this and I've never looked at this quite like this before but I want to give you the verse Paul uses this word again. He says, yet it shall not be so among you, Jesus says in Matthew. And now Paul comes along in 2 Corinthians 6, but in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God. He said, so if we're going to commend ourselves, if we're going to recognize ourselves, then recognize us as what? Ministers of God. And if we would translate that, he would say servants of God. Now look with me. In verses 5 through 10, and I'm going to hit the highlights here, so stay with me. He says, this is the attributes of our serving as servants of God. He said, in patience and in tribulation, in needs and distresses, in stripes, imprisonment, during uproars, losing sleep, we fast, we stay pure, we serve by knowledge, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit in sincere love, in truth, by the power of God, in the armor of righteousness, through honor and dishonor, through evil reports as deceivers but yet true, as unknown and yet well known, we serve through sorrow yet we rejoice, as poor yet making many rich, having nothing and yet possessing all things. You know what he's saying? Serving is not always easy. Serving is not always something where everybody's on your bandwagon beating your drum. Now, go back and look. He says sometimes we have to serve in patience, sometimes in tribulation. Sometimes people are in need and distresses. And, and I like this uh, 
one line where he says, through honor and dishonor, through evil reports as deceivers and yet true. Do you realize sometimes you're serving somebody and they think you're out to get them because you're serving them? They think, well, what's the agenda here? Or uh, I, I think you're out just to, uh, you know, to, to deceive me or to uh, uh, lead me the wrong way. No, I'm just here to serve you. I, I'm here just to minister to you. I found out in ministry, some people think when you try to help them, you're their enemy. That They think, well, golly, he, he's giving me advice or he's serving me, me and, and, and he's trying to... Uh, you know, pervert my ways or think he's better than me or whatever the case may be. And, and here Paul says sometimes it's in honor, sometimes it's dishonor, sometimes they think we're evil, but yet we're true. We're unknown, but yet we're well known. Sometimes we, th we serve in sorrow, yet we rejoice as poor making many rich, having nothing, but yet possessing all things. He's saying, listen, servitude is not always easy. And there's a whole lot of things that happen when you are serving. Now, notice there in verse 7, not only one who serves, but also one who teaches. Everybody say teaches. Now, this is what I know, and you know this. Some people have the gift of teaching, and some people just don't have it. Sometimes you sit in a classroom, or you're in some kind of educational uh, environment, or maybe it's preaching, maybe it's teaching, it could be any kind of uh, environment. And someone is speaking and teaching and 30 minutes goes by and 45 minutes goes by and an hour goes by and then you say, well, is it already over? And then some of them in five minutes you're thinking, I feel like I've been here for an hour. Y'all are so holy. <laughs> you, you know I'm telling you the truth. And I mean, it is just laborious. There are people who have the gift of teaching. There are people who don't have the gift of teaching. They ought to go do something else. That's okay. So what does that mean? It means to impart instruction, to instill doctrine, to explain and expound. There are some people who can take very difficult situations and, and simply give them in a way that you can understand it. There are some people who can take simple things and make it even more complex. <laughs> So we ought to take complex things through the gift of teaching and make them available that we can understand it. That's what parables is about. That's how Jesus explained the mysteries of the kingdom. He obviously had the gift of teaching because he's the ultimate teacher. I begin to read scriptures today about teaching and those who are around him begin to say things like this. Never have we heard anybody teach like this. He teaches as one who has authority. And this is kind of funny. They said, hey, he doesn't teach like you scribes and Pharisees. <laughs> he teaches a whole lot different. They got it. That they could understand it. They could receive it. Now, you think, well, you know, you have to really be learned. You have to have this real deep education to understand it. How many of you know Jesus could make it where anybody could understand it? And he gave us kingdom principle where we could understand it. There are people who can teach. There are people who can impart instruction, give doctrine, explain, expound. And then he says, the one who exhorts. Now, what does that mean? There's a Greek word here that he uses, parakaleo. And it means to come along someone's side to encourage them, admonish them, comfort them, console them. 
Have you ever had someone to try to console you and when they left you felt worse than when they came? It's like if you mashed your finger and you're over there holding your finger and they show up and say, hey, I've had worse things than that on my eyeball. <laughs> well, thank you for really encouraging me and really uh, making me feel better. Or they're always one-upping you, you know. Well, here, here's my distress. Well, that's nothing. Let me tell you what happened to me five years ago. That person may not have the gift of exhortation. Can I hear an Amen. It means to call someone to their side for encouragement, admonishment, comfort, and consolation. The Bible calls Barnabas. Matter of fact, they renamed him Barnabas because Barnabas means the son of consolation. Why would they rename Barnabas the son of consolation? Because he had the gift of consolation. He had the gift of encouragement. He had the gift of exhortation. Do you know who took Saul of Tarsus after he was converted when he was kryptonite to everybody else Barnabas did because nobody believed that that Saul of Tarsus who became the Apostle Paul that they couldn't believe that he was legit hey Saul of Tarsus got converted really yeah why don't you receive him I don't think so he's the guy who's been killing Christians he, he's the guy that's tearing down churches. He's the guy that has letters empowering him to go throughout the land and destroy Christians. I don't think so. Guess who took him when nobody else took him? Barnabas did. And Barnabas took him and began to develop him. Thank God for Barnabas. Or about two-thirds of your New Testament wouldn't even be there. Now, later on in ministry, do you remember that Paul and John Mark had a falling out because John Mark wanted to go home. Now listen, if you had followed Paul around, you would want to go home too. Y'all are so holy. I mean, Paul, I mean, you're following Paul around. This guy is like a Marine hitting the beach. I mean, he's shaking snakes off and he's getting stoned, left for dead. They're beating him and you're a sidekick. And John Mark said, hey, I've had enough. I'm going home. And, and, and Paul was really burnt that John Mark abandoned them on the mission journey. And then when they got ready to go again, Barnabas said, let's take John Mark with us. And Paul said, hey, no way, Jose. Now, he didn't say that, but you get the picture. And the Bible says the dispute between them was so great that Paul took Silas and Barnabas took, guess who? John Mark. Did John Mark fail? Yes, he did. But see, this whole thing of encouragement and consolation is going alongside of someone to bring them along the way. And some people have that gift, and some people don't. And Barnabas had that gift. Now, why is that important? What would even bring that up tonight? Because you have the Gospel of Mark in your Bible. If it wasn't for Barnabas, you would have Matthew, Luke, and John. You would have three Gospels. But praise God that Barnabas took John Mark and restored him back to where he should be. That's what the gift of exhortation and encouragement is to bring someone alongside of you to develop them and bring them a little further on the journey even after they faltered and they failed. Here is the, the gift of giving. 
Every believer, every believer should be, now let's go back to where we started here. Every believer should be teaching, every believer should be exhorting, and every believer should be giving. But that doesn't mean you have the gift. How many think we all should be teaching? Teaching your kids, uh, maybe teaching a neighbor, uh, doing something along those lines. How, how many of you believe that we, we should be encouraging one another, exhorting one another? Sure. You can do that without that being your primary gift. We all should be giving. But some people have the gift of giving. Which means they supernaturally are endowed by the Holy Spirit to give with liberality and simplicity and not self-seeking. They're not doing it for a name. They're not doing it for a position. But God supernaturally allows things to go through their life and their hands and it's funneled into the kingdom of God supernaturally. Some people have that gift. We have people in our church that have the gift of giving. Many of you have heard this story. I want to tell it tonight because there's a family in our church that I believe that does have the gift of giving. I've seen it. I remember one time they had a piece of equipment that they were hauling and uh, it cost several thousands of dollars. It was on a trailer and as they were going down I-44, uh, I think between Oklahoma City and Tulsa, the trailer hitch broke on the trailer. And that piece of equipment in the trailer began to tumble down I-44. Luckily, no one was hurt, but it destroyed the equipment and, you know, it was a major thing. I mean, you know, most of us can't take a major loss. And they called me on the phone. They said, Pastor, could you come to our office? And I went there. And I went there and we had some small talk. And we were around a conference table and they slid a check across the conference table to me. And I said, what's this for? And they told me the story of the equipment being destroyed. And they said, we felt like that was an attack of the enemy. So we thought we would just attack him back. And so they slid that check over and said, put that in the church. We're going to fight fire with fire. And then the same family, years ago, were buying a brand new car. And they had almost a brand new van. And they said, you know what, we've been thinking about this, praying about it. So we decided we weren't going to trade this van in on the new car. We would like to donate the van to the church. Could we use it in ministry? And I said, sure, we'll give it to Dow. And so we took that van, gave it to Dow. Dow used it to go to the hospitals and do his ministry calls, one thing and another. And uh, about the same time that happened, the quarterback club, the booster club at the football games begin to have a fundraiser and they were selling chances on a brand new pickup truck that one of the dealers was working with uh, uh, in the area with the, the campaign. So you know you bought a chance and so you know the kids were selling those and they come by their place of business and they bought some and for some reason and I don't know why the people that were running this through the quarterback club and the booster club called me and the first Baptist preacher and said, we're going to have that drawn at halftime at a football game. Could you two be out there on the 50-yard line when we draw it? And I thought, what are we doing? Adding legitimacy to this? Get the preachers out there. 
And so I said, yeah, sure. And you know those big tumblers they have and got a crank on it and, and it was just full of little bitty slips. So I, I'm out there with the First Baptist Preacher. We're standing there at the 50-yard line. They have this big tumbler there. It's got all these slips and all these things that they've sold. The kids have sold. The, 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 the quarterback club sold. Football players sold. And so they're tumbling this around. And this little cheerleader comes over. And they open the lid. And she goes down in the middle of that. And she pulls out a piece of paper. And she unfolds it. And I'm standing right next to her. And when she unfolded that paper... Guess whose name was on that paper? The person who donated the van to the church just a few weeks earlier. And I thought, isn't this amazing? You donate a van and get a new pickup. Now I'm not saying give all your vehicles to the church tonight and God's going to upgrade you. But I just know... Sometimes God does some amazing things. And I watched this with my own eyes. And I stood there at the 50-yard line on the football field. I said, this is amazing. This is amazing. But there are people who supernaturally have incomes and they have means where they flow into the kingdom of God, into the church, and there is the gift of giving. We should all be givers, but some people have the supernatural anointing of giving on their life. Do you believe that? I believe that. Then he says, he says, the ones who lead. If you have a King James Bible, it says rule. Now what does that mean? Well, it's the gift of administration, the gift of leadership. Some people are better behind the scenes. Doesn't mean they're less or more. It just means they're better in different positions. How many of you know that we all are valuable in this body? Different members, different functions, different giftedness, different anointings, different callings. We're all important, but we just feel different spots. And nobody here should ever feel like you're substandard because God has sovereignly put you in a position to serve the kingdom of God. Now, what does it mean, he who leads or he who rules or administrates? It's one who is set over. That's what the word means. Someone who's set over, to be placed over, an administrator, a protector, a guardian, a caregiver, to make firm, to establish. They're there to establish what they're over. For 32 years, going on 32 years, I have tried to lead this church the very best I can. I've tried to lead it over my personal desires, my personal wishes. I've said, what is best for our church, this kingdom, this community, this body of believers? And I can honestly stand before you tonight and say, I have never tried to be self-serving in my leadership. Now, it is a very difficult position to be in. Every father should be a leader. Every husband should be a leader. But God has supernaturally allowed people to fill those positions. I'm the chairman of a district through the International Ministerial Association. I'm a national board member in that same organization. I never ask for any of those positions. 
for about two or three years, they came to me and said, Pastor Mike, w would you fill these positions? W would you allow us to put your name in? And I'd say, no. <laughs> no, thank you. The next year, they'd come back and say, and Ken smiled at me because he knows this, would, 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 would you allow us to put your name in, in the hat here to, to be? I said, no. And we were in what, Homa, Louisiana. And they said, you know, we've asked you for like two or three or four years. Would, would you do this? I said, okay. You know, put my name in. They're probably not going to vote me in. Guess what they did? They voted me in. I found out that people who are bucking for positions, people who are ha got their hand up in the back of the room saying, choose me, choose me, choose me, are usually the ones that God doesn't choose. But there are people who have an anointing and a calling that God can set over, he can cause them to administrate, protect, guard, to, to care for his people. They become shepherds. And there's a part of shepherding that's ugly. It really is. There's a part of administration that's just ugly. It's when the wolf comes in among the sheep. And you have to step up and say, i got to take care of this. David said this, thy rod and thy staff, they both comfort me. The staff you use on the sheep, the rod you use on the predator. Pastor Mike, in 30-something years, have you ever had to pick up the rod a few times? And if you like doing it, you're not good at it. But you only do it when you have to. And the only reason you'd ever do it is to protect the sheep. The only reason you'd ever do it is, is to cause, you know, harmony and peace. Because this is what we know. The wolf will try to come in the door. Many of you have heard me tell this story, and, and I don't tell it out of arrogance, but I do tell it out of just, you know, th this what happens. I remember one time we, we had a guy come in, and we have so many people from missions and pastor's kids and people who've been in ministry, that are in ministry, that are part of our church. I literally went up to ask someone one time, why are you here? If you look across our congregation, we have a lot of people who've been in missions and people who've pastored and people with their pastor's kids, and, and we love them. Listen, I respect ministry, and I'm one of the minister's best friends. Let me tell you, I honor people in ministry because I know what it's like. And even here tonight, we have a lot of people here that's, that's preached and pastored and been in missions, and, and we applaud you and, and we uh, acknowledge you. But, but this guy come in, he had told me he had been a pastor, he was a preacher. I said, good, we're glad you're here. And after he was here for a while, he came up to me one uh, service, and he said, you know there's a lot of people unhappy at Ray of Hope? And I said, really? He said, yeah, there's a lot of people in this congregation that's unhappy, and he said, I'm going to split this church. And I thought, boy, he's got a lot of gall to tell me that. You know what I told him? And I said, I'm going to grab you by the seat of the pants and throw you out that front door. And he was shocked that I talked to him that way. Oh, I can't believe you talked to me that way. I said, I can't believe you said that to me. You need to, you need to pack it up and go somewhere else. And he went about three or four blocks from the church and started another ministry, it lasted about uh, three, four, five months, and it collapsed. And he literally tried to split the church. 
You know, when you're leading and you're guiding, this thing's going to try to come into your house, your home, among your kids. Guess what you got to do? You got to step up. You got to be the leader. You got to say, I need to administrate, guard, protect, give care, make firm, establish this. Now notice what he said. He says, lead with all diligence, earnestness, being careful. So there are people who are gifted to lead. Then he says, he that shows mercy. Everybody say mercy. <laughs> oh, I got tickled one time. How many have ever taken one of the spiritual gift tests? Carrie and I were taking the spiritual gifts one test one time and <laughs> she's going to kill me for saying this so don't ever say it I said what did you score low on she said mercy I said go figure <laughs> but she scored higher on other things mercy just wasn't her forte mercy may not be yours Yours may be teaching, yours may be prophecy, yours may be tongues, maybe interpretation of tongues, maybe healing, could be faith, could be anything. But what does it mean that some people are gifted in mercy? I'm telling you, some people have the knack to show up at the right time to extend mercy. Now notice what this word literally means. It means to have compassion, to help the afflicted, and notice how he said to do it. Show mercy with cheerfulness. Cheerfulness. Now it's not like, well, I'm here to help you, but I hate that I'm here. I'm here to help you, but I could really be doing something else. I I'm here to help you, but you know, really, it's kind of out of my way. No, they want to be there to help you. They want to be alongside of you. They want to show you mercy. You think about people like Mother Teresa. Different people who literally gave their life. I mean, give their life to something that no one else would do. Why? Because some people are gifted by the Holy Spirit to show mercy when you and I may not could ever do that. You think about the Good Samaritan, you know, the priest and the Levite, they walked on the other side of the road, but the Samaritan got down in the ditch with the one who's wounded, and he poured in the oil and the wine, and who showed mercy? Jesus said, who's this guy's friend here? And they said, well, the one that showed mercy, that's the friend. We have people walking through these doors every weekend, every Sunday. And through a week, we have, you know, a thousand people coming through these doors. And there are some people that are hurting. Some people are wounded. Uh, who's going to show them mercy? Hopefully the people that God has called to show them mercy. Who's going to encourage them? Hopefully the ones that God has gifted by exhortation and encouragement to come alongside of them. Who's going to teach them? Hopefully those who are gifted in teaching. How are we going to keep the lights on? How are we going to have padded pews and... Air-conditioned rooms, thank God. Hopefully by people who give and some people who have the gift of giving. You see, there are so many gifts here that Paul says we absolutely need the body of Christ. And we must have those. Let me give you just two last verses before we finish tonight. Romans chapter 1 verse 11. 
Paul is writing this letter to believers. He says, For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gifts so that you may be established. So two things there. Number one, spiritual gifts help us to establish. It's interesting when he talked about the gift of leadership or the gift of ruling. He said one of the things that ruling or leadership does, it helps establish. And so Paul now is saying in chapter 1 that all spiritual gifts help what? Establish the church. Everything's needed. Not, not one more important than the other. But they're all needed so we can be established. And then he says this. He said that I may impart to you some spiritual gift. And later on, and please turn there with me and we'll end with this verse. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 6. Paul is talking about Timothy's heritage. With Eunice and Lois, or Eunice and Lois, ever how you want to pronounce the mother and grandmother's name. He said the faith that was in them... I also see in you, Timothy, because that faith that they have, you've grown up under that faith. You've seen that faith. You, you watched that faith being modeled. But then he says in verse 6, he said, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So Paul was laying hands on people. We know this through Scripture. The book of Acts actually uh, tells us this without even debate, that those apostles laid hands on people and prayed for them to receive the Holy Spirit. And we have references, they received the Holy Spirit, spoke in tongues, and prophesied. And now Paul is saying that we have laid hands on people, and not only have they been filled with the Holy Spirit, but they've also been imparted and endowed with a spiritual gift. And according to Scripture, every born-again, spirit-filled believer has a spiritual gift to profit everybody. Now, this is what he says to Timothy. And I don't know really why he says this. And it could be because he's noticed something in Timothy's life. Uh, bring this up here, uh, Tanner, and help me out. I, I, I'm going to do a little uh, illustration here tonight. Everybody knows what this is? This is good stuff. <laughs> this is anointed by God. <laughs> now, anybody like milk here? Got any milk drinkers? My boys are milk drinkers. As good as this is, I'm going to tell you, this makes it better. This is the double portion. That's in there. But I could drink it, and nearly all of it, I wouldn't taste the chocolate. But if I do this, it's getting gooder and gooder. It's getting better and better. All you need to do is what? Stir it up. Now, this is what Paul is saying. It's not that you don't have a spiritual gift. It's just laying somewhere down at the bottom of the glass, Timothy. God put good stuff in you. It's just dormant. 
It's down there at the bottom. But guess what happens? If you stir it up, it begins to permeate every part of you. Oh. That's why we brought that. That was so good. That was amazing. Don't you wish you had a drink of that? That was so good. Thank you, Tanner. Give Tanner a hand for helping me out there. I'll just keep it. Timothy, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Now, this word stirred up means to kindle up, inflame, renew. And, and the analogy is really not Hershey's and milk. But that's the best I could do tonight. The analogy is this. You see the fire burning, and it has burnt down, and it's just the coals and the embers there left. And you have built a fire, and I've built a fire, and you take the poker, you, you take the fireplace instrument, and, and you push in there, and guess what you do? You begin to stir it up, and the more you stir it up, the more the fire begins to rekindle. Listen, every one of us, just like Timothy, has to keep stirring up the gifts of God within our hearts. How do you stir that up? One of the ways that I get stirred up is coming to church. Two weeks ago, I was sharing this with Waylon on uh, a Tuesday morning when we had staff meeting. It was a Sunday, and I was teaching that night, and I was standing over here, and probably everybody thought, you know, pastor just doesn't sing a lot, and one of the reasons I don't sing is because I just need to save my voice, and, uh, and I want to help the people around me, but, but uh, I'm there, and as worship is going on, I was like this huge sponge just soaking up the atmosphere of God. The music was playing, the songs were going on, they were singing, that you were worshiping, and, and you know, people began to you know, get in the presence of God. And I stood there with my hands out, and I felt like this huge sponge just soaking up the presence of God. What was happening to me? There was something that was stirring up in my spirit. When I get around certain people, it stirs me up. When I hear the Word of God taught and preached, it stirs me up. When I, I get in certain environments, it stirs me up. Folks, there are some believers, I believe they're going to go to heaven, but they hardly ever get stirred up. I mean, they just kind of get enough just to keep going, and all their chocolate's at the bottom of the bowl. You look at their glass and all the chocolate's down at the bottom. And, and if you don't stay stirred up, if, if I left that glass there, it would only be a matter of time if we came back next Sunday, let me tell you what would happen. The chocolate would stratify back to the bottom. And it's not that it's not there, but it would have to be stirred up again. 
And every time you and I get in the presence of God, guess what happens? We get stirred up. And we come back and we get stirred up and we get stirred up and we get stirred up and we go out here on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday and your Hershey's is not at the bottom of your glass. Your Hershey's is stirred up. And so therefore, people around you can see something and taste something and feel something because you're stirred up. And it's not because you produced that. All you did was stir it up. God produced it, He gifted it, He graced it, He empowered you, but you and I have to stir it up. And Paul wouldn't say stir it up if we don't need to stir it up. Stand with me tonight. We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you are encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory, and hope changes everything.